0: All right, we're going to see here as uh, David's pretty much ending up his some of his battles he's been having since chapter 18 with these different countries, his neighboring countries. And uh, he's about to take over uh, Ammon and, and take the king's crown and, and have victory. But we're going to look at something first in chapter in, uh, verse 1, and we're going to go ahead and read that. And it says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time kings go out to battle, that Joab led out the armed forces and ravaged the country of the people of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem, and Joab defeated uh, Rabbah and overthrew it. The key thing I want to look at here is that David stayed in in Jerusalem. Now, we started off in the beginning. It says that they went out to battle in spring when kings go out to battle word kings go out to battle he should have been with his armies he should have been out with them in the battle Um, and they would go out in spring because winter would be too cold too rainy to set up these camps and to travel and such the spring was the perfect time to go out into battle and we see here it tells us that David did not go now during this time which the author here does not mention but if you go into uh, Samuel we'll see him mentioning This is the time that he fell into lust with Bathsheba, that he got Bathsheba pregnant, brought in Uriah to get him to try and sleep with his wife to cover up the sin that he had already committed. And then when that didn't happen, sent him out into battle with the own letter that was going to seal Uriah's faith. And uh, that's what sin will do. It's kind of like a a lie. You, you, You talk about one lie. You're going to have to lie to cover up that lie to cover up that lie. And it's, it's a never-ending thing with that. But David remained in Jerusalem during this time when he should have been out to war. And we all know the outcome of what, what this happened. David continued to try and cover his sin until finally he had to come to repentance with it. And in Proverbs 28:13, it says, He who covers the sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Now, what if David would have confessed his sin as soon as he got word from Bathsheba that she was pregnant and he confessed his sin? Would things maybe have turned out differently? He would have maybe had mercy mercy from God and, and things could have turned out differently. Instead, he had adultery and he had a murder on his hands. And both of these, according to the law, could be punishable by death but God still had mercy on him and eventually David would repent of these sins but there'll be some lasting consequences to it the child that Bathsheba was was pregnant with ends up dying and David was David was fasting and everything before this before uh, to have this child live but we all know that he died and that was part of the punishment on what on what David and Bathsheba had did and I'll look at this too and I and I look at another incidence where Lust and sin that came into play but this particular individual did it a different way and we looked at joseph whenever potiphar's wife is trying to trap him and we look at david in second samuel 11 1, he stayed behind and we look at joseph in genesis 39 2 through 5 joseph stayed busy with the lord's work when david should have been out with his army fighting and, and keeping himself busy he stayed behind Number two, David entertained the sin. He'd seen her on the rooftop. He thought about it. The lustful thoughts started coming into play. And Joseph resisted it. He didn't want to have any part of that. Then we see David ignored the warnings. The people around him were giving him warnings. You don't want to do that. That's Uriah's wife. That's one of your mighty men. You don't want to enter into a relationship with her. But Joseph heeded the warnings. He knew that if he was to lay with Potiphar's wife, that this would not turn out, turn out well at all. And what did David do? David sent for her to come to him. Once again, continuing on with the lust. Joseph was caught by her, but he got away. Now I'm pretty sure Potiphar's wife was, was a beautiful woman and no one would have known. He's far away from home. Potiphar's off, nobody would know. But Joseph wasn't going to let himself lower himself to that level. David sinned with her, and Joseph ran from her. Left his coat, everything. He ran from sin, and that's exactly what we need to do. We need to run from sin and, and, and not be so entangled by it. Another thing, David was at ease. That saying that idle hands is the devil's playground is really true. David was having a time of ease. He was relaxing in Jerusalem when the rest of his army and where he should have been should have been in the front lines. And us as believers, we can't let the devil catch us when we're at time of ease. We've got to constantly be about our Father's business. And I'm sure we've all had our moments of ease to where sin slowly crept in because we weren't on guard against him. And the enemy, he'll, he'll wait for you to slip up. He's, he's just waiting. He's patient. And he'll wait, and he'll wait till that opportune time to take you down and to let sin slip in, regardless of what the sin may be. So we can't let ourselves remain idle. F.B. Myers said, Beware of moments and hours of ease. It is in these that we most easily uh, fall into the power of Satan. The sultriest summer days are, are most laden with blight. If we cannot fill our days with our own matters, there is always plenty to be done for others. Watch and pray in days of vacation and ease, even more than other times. So we can't get lazy in our faith. We can't get lazy in our walks with Christ. Because the, the, the devil is lurking and looking to grab someone. John ten ten it says, Why well, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's he's just he's lurking around ready to just pounce on someone like a roaring lion to take him down. And David was caught up in this. But even even with him being caught up in sin like he was. The Lord still had a plan, and David still got the victory here against Amon. And God did have mercy on him, and God still gave him victory. And just because we fall into sin, we we can't get to a point and get down on ourselves either. He offers us a chance to repent and ask for forgiveness of our sins. And then we can move forward with our lives. It's not the end of the world if we fall into some type of sin. But there is consequences that come. With falling into sin. In verse 2, it says, Then David took their uh, king's crown from his head and found it to weigh a talent of gold. And there was precious stones in it, and it was set, uh, set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws, with iron picks, and with axes. So David did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So he was going to start having all these dwelling cities that these people dwelled in tore down and destroyed where you could not even inhabit it anymore. But we see here David's sin didn't take away his crown. um, And he listened to Nathan and he repented of his sin. And he got the victory. And we see David come here getting the crown of the king of Amman put on his head. Total victory over these people. And his people, and the people that were under him brought into his servanthood under David. Once again, we see David here extending his kingdom, extending the wealth that he was bringing in. Because remember, he's wanting to build this temple. He can't build it, so he's going to supply for it. And he gets all this wealth from Amman and brings it in. To be able to wait on the temple. Verse 4. It says. Now it happened after that war. Broke out at Gezer. With the uh, Philistines. At which time. Uh, Sebakai The Hush, Hushath, Hushathite. Killed uh, Sepi. Who was one of the sons of the giant. And they were subdued. Again there was war with the Philistines. And Elhanan. The son of Jar, Killed Lamai." The brother of Goliath, the Gittite, Gittite, and the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath, uh, where there was a man of great stature, with 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand and six on each foot. And he also was born to the giant. So when he uh, defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. These were born to the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hands of the servant. So we all remember David and Goliath? So these are all family members of Goliath, the giant. They said he had six fingers on each hand, six toes, and these are some big people. to have that many, right? But we see, we see... These giants being defeated, not only by David, but by David's servant, his warriors going out there, defeating these giants. And and I'm sure these giants have already heard about David and what he did to Goliath. And I'm sure revenge was on their minds. But David's warriors and his mighty men were able to go in there and destroy it. But just like David, who took down Goliath, and just like us, who have victory over the demonic giants in our life, it's not that we have, we've given the victory, but it's Christ who's given us that victory. And God gave this victory over these giants to David and his mighty men. And David was building quite a legacy and a quite, a, quite a reputation for himself here as being a mighty warrior and a mighty leader. And in verse eight, we continue up uh, chapter 20, and it says, these were the uh, born To uh, the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hands of his servant. And I guess you could say by the hands of David because he was the one who sent these men out to take care of them. All right, now we're going to move into 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And I think if we took a poll in here on what David's greatest sins were, probably the majority of us would probably answer adultery and murder. I think that's probably what the answer would be. But we're going to see here in chapter 21 that it was actually pride would end up being the greatest sin that he probably had. And I think is the greatest sin that we all have is pride. Because from pride, all other sins come. We look at Satan. What was, what was his number one sin he had? Pride. He wanted to take the throne of God and rise above him. So he had pride. So we're going to look look at David and we're going to look at the pride that he had here in chapter 21. verse 1 it says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. So here we're looking at, it says that Satan... Stood up against Israel. Now, if you look in Second Samuel, it says that God came against Israel. We know that God does not tempt. We know that God is not the author of sin. But just like in the Book of Job, where He'll allow Satan to go in and tempt, and allow Satan to go in and do things to certain people, He even told Peter that he, that Satan wanted the the to get him like this. How did he say it? To shift him like wheat or whatever. he wanted to get peter let's put it that way i can't think of it right now but he wanted to get peter and he and satan wants to get some of us but it is only happens if god allows it to happen because god god does not tempt god is not the author of sin but he will allow things to happen in our life to bring about his plan and to bring about his righteousness so we have to remember that and we've got to remember that we can see it with Job. We can see it here with Israel. We can see it with Peter and and a number of other stories that are in our Bible that he will allow Satan to do things. But is ultimately to bring about the good and to bring about his righteousness for his sake and for his name's sake. So we see that here. Now he's talking about wanting to do a census. Now we know Moses did a census and we know Moses. There was no problem with Moses doing the census. God was not against it. But here we're going to see that he went to do a census, but it wasn't for the same reasons. And we see when Moses did the census, God asked for the census to happen here. We don't see God asking David to do a census at all. So this census that David is about to do has more to do with his pride and has more to do with his ego and kind of puffing himself up. Let me see how many people I have in Israel instead of saying how many people God has in Israel. And a lot of times whenever census are done in the Bible is because God had commanded them to do a census. We see nowhere here where God is commanding David to do a census at all. And in verse 3, Joab Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But may Lord, may, uh, Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all of Israel and came to Jerusalem. So even Joab was trying to caution him against doing this thing, that this is the Lord is the only one that should be numbering Israel unless he calls for it. He says, let's not do this because this is going to bring... Uh, shame and, and is not going to be good for Israel at all, so let's not do this. But still, David's pride got in the way, and his word was kept. So whatever David said to do, it was done. So Joab had to end up going out and getting the census for David. In verse 5, it says, And Joab uh, gave the sum of the number of the people to David, and Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's uh, word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, uh, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray that you take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So we see here, Joab goes to get the census, but he doesn't count Benjamin and Levi in it. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm wondering if he's doing that just to say, well, I didn't count all of Israel to maybe make it seem like it's better for the Lord. I didn't count everyone. You no, know, so maybe the Lord's wrath wouldn't come. But the Lord wasn't just mad at God. I mean, uh, just mad at David. He was mad at Israel. too. He had something against Israel, too. Um, it doesn't necessarily say what it is. I've read it had to do, some of it had to do with Absalom's rebellion, that some of the people had went with Absalom instead of going with David, who was the chosen king, and that maybe David, uh, God had some anger against Israel for that. It doesn't really say, but it wasn't this just the fact that David had did the census, but it was also had to do with some issues that Israel had done as well. So God was going to bring a judgment on them for that. But we notice in verse 8, That day, as soon as David realized that he had did something wrong, the first thing he did was, I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done foolishly. So he knew that he had done something that was not right, that was against God. And the first thing David does, and we notice this throughout his life, is go straight to repentance. He knows he's done something wrong. I'm going to repent. And we should follow that same thing. As soon as we know that we've sinned against the Lord, or we've even sinned against our brother or sister, we need to go in repentance and ask for forgiveness. And David is modeling that for us here. In verse 9, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it. Do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, choose for yourself either three years of famine, or three months uh, to be defeated by your foes, with the sword of your enemies, overtaking you, or else for three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, with the angels of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what uh, answer I should take back to him who sent me. In Hebrews twelve six it says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. He chastens and scourges every son he receives. Those who God loves, he disciplines. And if you're not being disciplined by the Lord, think about your faith. Because he's going to discipline you as a child of God. When you do something wrong, there will be discipline that will be brought into your life. That's just like if I have my own two little girls. If I don't discipline them, I'm not loving them. And they don't understand that. They don't like it when I have to discipline. We probably didn't understand that when we were younger either. But we discipline those we love because we don't want them to go down the wrong path. We don't want them to bring harm to themselves. And this is what God's doing about to discipline David and discipline Israel because they were doing things that were going to bring harm to themselves. And we read through First and Second Kings, we've seen all the harm that they brought upon themselves because they didn't listen to their father. And so this is just one more part of it. But I look at this with, with God giving David three punishments he can choose from. That's like my dad telling me, you're getting a whooping boy, go get, go pick out the belt you want to get whooping with. It's going to happen, but one of the belts may not hurt as bad as the other one. So Dave is looking at these three and he's saying, well, the first one you want to give me three years of famine, that's a very long time and that's going to make the people suffer. That's going to bring a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache. And that, three years of famine, that's a long time. I think I'll pass on that one. He's going to give them three three months of the enemy coming against them. So he's going to, he's going to, God's basically going to deliver Israel and, and David into the hands of his enemies. How humiliating that would be and how horrifying that would be to be delivered over to your enemies. And then the last one says that God would unleash his angel for three days on Israel, basically bring a plague for three days, a sickness for three days. So David ends up choosing the latter and letting the uh, angel of the Lord come and taking over. So we read in verse 13, it says, And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. I would imagine so, knowing that God's about to bring judgment on you says, please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hands of man. And I agree, it's better to fall into the hands of a merciful God than it is to fall into the hands of a sinful man. Because the chance of you getting out of this it may be a lot better because of his mercies. And I think David made a great choice. In verse 14, it says, so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel. And seventy thousand men of Israel fell, and God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. As he was destroying, the uh, as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, uh, "It is enough. Now restrain your hand." And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing uh, floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So God pulled back on his judgment. He's seeing that they've gotten enough punishment and enough judgment from me. We can go ahead and pull back now. And 70, think about it, 70,000 out of the couple million that was in Israel, that's probably not too bad of a deal. Even though 70,000 people died out of the whole number of Israel, that's better than probably sending three years of famine or having the enemies for three months come in and take over your land. I think this was end up, in the grand scheme of things, a pretty good deal. So the pestilence moved throughout Israel from household to household. Seventy thousand died. And then it says that the angel of the Lord was there with his sword over over Jerusalem. I don't know if we can even imagine that. Even with Hollywood, we have today and all the movies we've watched, this giant angel over a city ready to just bring the sword down on it. It had to have been a sight, and several people, as we'll read in a minute, actually seen this sight of the angel over Jerusalem. And I'm pretty sure some fear got into him at that point. So he goes to the threshing floor, and in verse 16, it says, And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders clothed in sackcloth and fell on their faces, and rightfully so. They they fell into repentance repentance and and they wanted forgiveness and they were sorrowful about this and they should have been and David said to God was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered am I the one who has sinned and done evil indeed but these sheep what have they done let your hand I pray O Lord my God be against me in my father's house but not against your people that they should be uh, that they should be plagued. Therefore, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So David went up at the the word of God uh, G- uh, at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. So David is, is seeing this angel of the Lord with the sword drawn over Jerusalem, and they, him and his leaders fall to their face in sackcloth and ashes. And just in straight repentance and sorrowfulness, let's stop this. You know, they're crying uncle. I don't want. I don't want any more of this. And that's exactly what we should do whenever God is bringing mercy to us. Whenever we deserve wrath, fall on our faces and ask for forgiveness and ask Him to stop and, and 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 have a sorrow, a godly sorrow about us, to where we don't want to sin anymore, and we are true, true truly, truly for good. Uh, Sorry for what we've done, and we want that forgiveness. And we see David and his men doing that here. And then he says, Lord, let the people of Israel go. They're, these sheep, they're innocent of everything, but God seen it a different way because not only was he upset with David, but he was upset with the nation of Israel too. They were not guilty. I mean, they were not innocent of anything. They were guilty of, as, just as much as David was at this point. Now God is commanding David to go set up an altar and to make sacrifice for this sin that had happened to the nation, the sin of what David had committed and to do it on this threshing floor. Now we know the threshing floor is where they separate the wheat from the chaff and they're separated. And this is what God is wanting to do right here. He's wanting to separate the evil from Israel and the good from Israel at this point and to sacrifice to him and give glory to him. And in verse 20. It says now Ornan turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. But Ornan continued threshing wheat. So David came to Arnon and Arnon looked and saw David. And he went out from the threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Arnon grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar On it to the Lord, and you shall grant it to me at the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to to David, take it to yourself and let my Lord, the king, do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen and the burnt offering, the threshing implements for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. uh, I give it all. Then King David said to Ornan, no, but I would surely buy, buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place. So David wasn't going to just take this as a gift. He, he wasn't going to take something that was going to cost him nothing. Nor not continue to thresh the wheat. And what a surprise. He sees this angel in the sky, and then he turns around, and he sees the king of Israel coming towards him, onto his, onto his property. He had to be pleasantly surprised by that. But David buying this, our, our lives and our walk with Christ is going to cost us something. Whether it's the loss of loved ones because they don't believe how we believe, whether it's, it's, it's maybe a physical ailment, maybe it's whatever it may be, our life and our walk with Christ is going to cost us something. And we see our brothers and sisters right now suffering overseas in China, in the Middle East. Their walk with Christ is costing them their lives at times. So David did not want to build this altar and sacrifice to, to the Lord and, and not have it cost him something. So David bought this land from Ornon. And we look at verse 26. It says, And David built uh, there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. Once again, we see that fire coming down from the sky, right? Just like Elijah did. <laughs> That's awesome. So the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to his feast. Uh, so we see here, once that offering was accepted by the Lord, the angel put his sword back in his sleeve, and, and, the, and the judgment was done. The Lord was satisfied with the sacrifice that David made. And we look at this, where this threshing floor is at. Uh, they say that this threshing floor was, was on Mount Moriah. We all know what was on Mount Moriah with Abraham making his sacrifice where our Lord and Savior uh, died and was crucified for us. And also part of it is where the temple would be built. And he allowed David to be able to set up an altar in a spot where the temple that he was so longing to build to be able to make sacrifice in that same area. What What a good God we serve that he was able to do that for David and David was able to sacrifice to him. In this spot. So now we see David purchase this land. He builds this altar. God is pleased at this moment in time. But we look at Ornan's threshing floor. And there's a couple things to it. I want to talk about just real quick. Before we, before we close. The character of Ornan's threshing floor. Shows us something about where. And how God wants to meet with man. Number one. A simple unadorned place. We don't have to have grand cathedrals to go see God. We don't have to have grand temples and buildings and special temples for us to go worship God. He just wants to worship where we're at. You could be in your house. It could be in your closet. It could be in your car driving to work. It could be here in this building we're in. It could be anywhere. It doesn't have to be a special place. The Lord just wants to meet and fellowship with us. It could be an ordinary work, just a work we do. If we're doing it in honoring God, if we work as though we're working for the Lord, he's honored in that. It could be a place where bread is uh, brought forth. It could be a place where the justice of God was evident. It could be a place where sin was confessed. Now we've seen a lot of sin in these two chapters between <laughs> between the adultery and the murder and the pride. But God wants to meet us where we confess our sins. That's why he died for us, for our sins could be forgiven and we can offer that confession to him. And also a place where sacrifice was offered and accepted. At the cross. That's where we can meet with God. At the foot of the cross where his son hung for us. In verse 28, as we start to close out. It says at that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering, which uh, Moses had made in the wilderness, was at that time at the high place in Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. In verse 1 in uh, chapter 22, it says, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord uh, God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David probably continued to sacrifice after that fire came down, continued to worship the Lord where he was at, after he'd seen the mercies that God gave him and gave Israel. I think we need to continue to worship the Lord when we see the mercies that he's brought into our lives and the goodness that he's brought into our lives, we need to constantly be in a state of worship because we serve a God that is really merciful because we all deserve hell and death. That's the bottom line. And this world doesn't want to hear that. But we serve a God that sees otherwise, that he loves us and he wants to have his mercy bestowed upon us. And we need to be very thankful for that. Amen.